Parashas Vayishlach has the story of Shechem. Begins with with uh, Shechem's assault, seizing and, and rape of Dina. The sons of Yaakov are furious. They make a deal with the people in Shechem. The people in Shechem propose that they'll join, they'll intermarry, they'll do business together. The sons of Yaakov say, we'll do it, but only if you do bris milah. They agree. They, they're tantalized by the prize of uh, associating with the family of Yaakov, so they're all suffering from the milah. Shimon and Levi wipe out, they annihilate the entire city. At the end of the story, so Yaakov is not pleased. Yaakov tells the, his sons, Yaakov is very unhappy with what, with what they have done. He says, you've, made, you've damaged my reputation, you've made me uh, soiled, dirty. Yaakov is worried. The same as Spar, uh, I'm, I'm only few in number, our family is not large. They're going to wipe us out. They're going to counterattack and wipe us out. The people of Canaan. Shall they treat our sister like a zona? One of the most fascinating questions in all of Tanakh, I've been fascinated by this for many years, as many of the commentaries <coughs> have been, is what was the justification of Shimon and Levi for destroying the entire city? There are actually several questions we have to consider. What, what was the thought process? What was the moral, emotional justification of Shimon and Levi for destroying the entire city? Why did Yaakov disagree? Yaakov said, What was the point of disagreement? We find years later on Yaakov's deathbed, he says, Yaakov is again very critical of Shimon and Levi's uh, character, of their conduct. Apparently it refers back to this, to this story, at least in part, it refers back to this episode. Yaakov still hadn't uh, agreed, even though Shimon and Levi and Arpasha have the last word. They say, But uh, years later, Yaakov still felt they were wrong. He said, So we're going to discuss tonight several questions. What was the... What was the original justification of Shimon and Levi for what they did? What was Yaakov's critique? What, what, what was the point of disagreement? What was Shimon and Levi's answer of Hachizona Yasis Achosenu? And finally, uh, Yaakov still later still hadn't agreed, and he said, Arapam Kios. Most of the commentaries assume that Shimon and Levi had some kind of moral justification for what they had done, that there's some way to explain. <coughs> that there's some way to explain what Shimon and Levi did as being consistent with Torah, with, uh, with Yosher, with, uh, with, with morality. There are exceptions. There are some Rishonim who just say that they were simply wrong. Rabbi Yosef Bacharshar, one of the great Balei Hapshat of the, of the Rishonim, he says that Shimon and Levi, he calls them Achei Dina, when it says that they, that they, uh, they were Achei Dina, the brothers of Dina, they were all brothers of Dina. Why does it single out those two? Because they were the ones who acted in a particularly brotherly fashion. They risked their lives. Everyone else did not want to join their plan. Why? Not because they were scared. Bukhar Shar says the other brothers did not want to join their plan because they said, it's wrong. We, we, we have no right to do this. It's, it's not right. To, to, as angry as we are, it's, it's not right to destroy the whole city. In particular, because they agreed. We, we made them a deal. They said, Dubris Milan will accept you. They, they held up. They're part of the bargain. Their plan, he says, had been they had assumed Shimon and Levi would reject the, the offer of, of Mila. They thought it would be a, uh, a pretext for, for, uh, <coughs> for, for war, apparently. The, what they said was, if you don't do Bris Mila, we'll take our daughter and leave. He says the plan was to take revenge on them. Maybe he thought that they would refuse the Mila and wouldn't give back Dina. Then they would have an excuse to wage war and kill them. But their plan was to, uh, to, to maybe start a war. But he says, fair is fair. We made a deal. They called our bluff. They accepted it. And uh, we, we, have to, we, have to, we have to keep our word. We, we said we would uh, go along with this. So, so they didn't want to do Shiloh Kedin. So the other sons of Yaakov, Yaakov himself, I suppose, didn't want to do what they felt was Shiloh Kedin. However, Shimon and Levi, Shayu Balai Kas. Shimon and Levi had temper. They were Balai Kas. 
And they said, Bain Kedin, Ubain Shalokedin, Ninko Mayhem. Right or wrong, we're not interested. We are, we are furious and we are going to avenge what they did to our family, what they did to Dina. So Bakarshar says they were wrong, they were Balai Kas, they acted Shalokedin, and they were simply wrong. I mean, they, they were, though, two of the six brothers of Dina. Right, brothers, right, brothers. right. How he's pointing out, Yaakov had 12 sons, but only six of them were from Leo, who was the mother of Dina, so, so it wasn't, it's a, they, 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 were, they, were, they were closer than many of their other brothers, but still, there were two out of six, yeah. So, Bukharshar says they were Balaikas, and they said, we're going to act Shalokadin if we have to, we're just going to do what we want. He seems to say they were simply wrong, and that that's why the other brothers wouldn't be part of it. The other brothers felt they were wrong. Meiri brings a pshat, a similar idea as well. The Meiri he discusses the justification of the Rambam, which will which will get to uh, which, which will get to a little bit later. The justification of the Rambam for what Shimon and Levi did. He says the other other Rishonim disagree. He says other Rishonim disagree. He says there were those who disagree with the Rambam's justification. We'll, we'll discuss the whole issue of how the Rambam interprets it later. But he says, and according to those we showed him who say that the Ram, that 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 that, uh, that that there was apparently no justification, the Ram's the Ram's justification does not hold up. The Ram's justification we'll see later is that they should have judged, that they should have enforced the law against uh, against Shem, they should have punished him. Uh, other other we showed him say that that's not a capital offense. So he says, so then what what then what happened? Then why did Shimon Levi do what they did? Says the Meiri, these we showed him say what he calls Ketas Kedole Hadara say. According to this school of thought, it was wrong. It was Shalokadin. Who should kill him? Yaakov Allah. And that's why Yaakov cursed them years later. He says, What you did was simply Shalokadin. And the truth is, the Ramban himself, we'll see presently, the Ramban himself, at one point in his explanation, touches on the possibility that they were actually wrong. But this is a minority view. The, the general consensus of Rishonim is that Shimon and Levi did have some kind of justification for what they did. What was the justification? In, indeed, what, what was the justification of Shimon and Levi for, for what they did? So, Rambam famously says, we mentioned a moment earlier, Rambam famously says that the justification for killing, everyone seems to assume that the, that the, everyone seems to assume that killing Shem was, was obviously justified. What he did, kidnapping, rape, and, and th- th- that was certainly a capital offense. I was talking to my son. He's eight. He, he said, uh, even, 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 uh, even Shem. He's, he, he was a bad thing. Obviously, he's not sure why it justifies execution. I mean, he's uh, he, he's too young to properly understand the the issue of rape. But still, whether it was gazel or, or rape, all right. But a Ben Noach is mitzuv on these things, and it is a capital offense according to halacha. So we understand why they killed Shem. That that doesn't seem to trouble many of too many of the commentaries. But what justified killing the rest of the people of Shechem? Rambam says in Hilchas Malachim, One of the seven Noachide laws is dinim, is laws. What does that mean? Rambam says it is the appointment of judges. It is the establishment of a system of justice. The enforcement of laws. The, the, the judgment of criminals and the, and the enforcement of laws. And, and, and punishment and consequence for sin. They have to appoint Ayanam Veshoftim in every region, to, to judge regarding the other six mitzvahs. There are six mitzvahs, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, and so on. The seventh mitzvah of dinim is to, is, to, is to impose justice regarding the other six mitzvahs. A ben noach that violates any of the seven mitzvahs is liable for the death penalty. And then the Rambam adds, and that is why, that, that's already a Gemara, then the Rambam adds on his own, and that is why all the... All the residents of Shechem were, were, the killing of them was justified. They were Nishaivu Hariga, Shechem Gazel, Shechem stole. We often point out, Halacha doesn't really have much of a category of rape. Today we see rape as a particularly heinous crime. Halacha doesn't really have much of a category of rape. It's considered as a, a particular case of assault. The Torah does have certain financial penalties in certain very, very limited cases, but in general, rape is treated uh, just as a version of assault. In this case, it was theft. They kidnapped Dina. There, 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 there is language in Chazal and some of the some of the Rishonim about that they were that they were that other other non-Jews were careful about arayos. It was a transgression of sexual immorality. That's actually hard to understand since Dina wasn't married and it wasn't incest. It wasn't incest, so uh, 
so consorting with an unmarried female is not considered erva in a halachic sense. So the general idea is that, that the kidnapping was a form of gazelle, either, either of her own person or her father's, uh, the girl was considered in her father's rishus, it was considered a form of gazelle, Shrei Shechem Gazelle. Why is that their problem? They saw it, they were aware of it, they did not judge him, they were delinquent in their obligation to enforce the law, Dinim, the Ram says, and the Benach is Nerag. So that's why everyone in the city was liable to be killed, to be executed, because they fell short of their obligation to impose Dinim. The Mepharshim have a number of objections, other Mepharshim have a number of objections to this approach of the Ram. The Ramban, the Ramban says, Rabbim Yishalu, many people ask, how can Yaakov, the sons of Yaakov, Tzadikim, how can they do such a thing? So the Rambam says, we said, because of Dinim, because they failed to uphold the law. Says the Ramban, Ein dvarim halalu I do not think the Rambam's approach is correct, because first of all, if that was really true, if they were really Chayat Misa, why was Yaakov reluctant to go along? Yaakov should have been the first to, uh, to do the right thing, to, 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 to kill them for what they had done. If Yaakov was afraid, why would he get angry at Shimon and Levi? Why would he curse them years later, a long time later, and he punished them? He says, He punished them by dispersing them. If they were brave and they were making the mitzvah of enforcing the din, of punishing Bnei Noach for their failures to enforce the din, they had to be talking in Hashem. He should be uh, admiring of them. He should, he should, he should, uh, he should appraise them. Well, why would he curse them? He says, he doesn't say he should have praised them, but certainly, why would he curse them? Why would he punish them? If they were right, if he was, if he was just too scared to, uh, if he was just too scared to do anything about it, but they were right, so then, 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 then what was, uh, why was Yaakov upset? The Rabban goes on and says that they were not chayyab because of dinim. Why were they not chayyab because of dinim? Says the Rambam, the mitzvah of dinim, says the Rambam, the mitzvah of dinim does not mean what the Rambam says. Rambam says the mitzvah of dinim is to enforce the din, to establish courts and punishments. Says the Ramban, that's not what dinim means. Dinim means legislation. Dinim means to establish dinim. The Torah says lo sigzal. That's one of the seven Noachide laws. Beyond that, but there's a whole body of the, there's a whole body of law that you have to establish. The rules of gneva, the rules of theft and ona, the rules of fraud, cheating and oshek and withholding money that's due somebody else. Vizchar sacher, dinei shomrim. We discussed last week the laws of uh, custodians of baileys. The laws of rape and seduction, all the different laws of torts, of damages, personal injury, the laws of borrowing and lending, the laws of sales, purchases and sales. All these dinim, the, so, the, so Yisrael has uh, that the, all the dinim that we have in the Torah, that the, they're supposed to establish, or they're, they're, they're supposed to follow, they're supposed to, they're supposed to uh, follow all these halachas as well. There's a discussion about whether, the, whether I, I said legislation. There's a discussion about whether they're supposed to follow our laws. The Ramban seems to imply they're supposed to follow our laws or they're supposed to establish their own laws. Ramah has a famous chuva where he discusses that. Other posts can do. But anyway, so he says, these are the laws of Dinim, that, that, the, that, that they're supposed to have laws. They're supposed to have a comprehensive legal framework, to live according to a comprehensive legal framework. And included in that, he says, yes, is the mitzvah to have dayanim, is the mitzvah to have judges, but the Ramban says, hey, that's not the mitzvah of dinim, that's just one part, it's, it's all of Chosh Mishpat is dinim, that's one detail in, in, in dinim. B, the Ramban says, that is not a capital offense. If, uh, if a non-Jew steals or rapes or does those things, then he's Chayef Misa. A Jew is not Chayef Misa, a non-Jew is Chayef Misa. But for the failure to appoint judges, he said, to, for a failure to uphold the law, even though he's commanded to do that, he's not Chayef Misa. Because that's a mitzvah say that's a positive commandment. The Ramban says, if he violates Bekum Vaseh, a negative commandment, don't steal, and he steals, then he's Chayav Misa. If he simply passively, by inaction, fails to do the mitzvah of appointing judges, even though that's wrong, he's not Chayav Misa. The language of the Gemara is, Azhara Shalhenzuimi Sasan, if they violate an Azhara, if they violate a negative commandment, they're Chayav Misa, but not for failing to appoint judges. So the Ramban says that the... That, that the Ramban says that the... So, so first of all, first of all, that's not what the mitzvah of dinam is primarily. Second, it's only a failure to do a positive commandment. That's not, a, that's not Chayav Misa. Third, the Ramban says that the... Third, the Ramban says they would not have been punished because it's not their fault, he says. They, they, they weren't brave enough to stand up to their king, to their, to their lord. 
How can you expect him to do that, he says? Yes, it's true. The Torah does tell a Jewish person, Jews are commanded, lo seguru Jew, Jewish dayanim have a tzivoy, don't be afraid that, that, uh, that you have to be brave and uphold the din, uphold the Torah. But non-Jews don't have that commandment, he says. That, uh, and certainly they're not going to be chay of Misa for, for, uh, for failing to uh, make themselves the lord and master of, of, their, of, of their lord, of their master, to expect the, the, the serfs of the king, the, the subjects of the king, to get up and start judging their overlord. That is, not a reasonable, that is not a reasonable expectation, he says. That is not something we can reasonably expect of the, of the people, so that's certainly not chay of Misa for that. We mentioned the Meiri. The Meiri also brings this objection to the, the, the previous objection to the Rambam. He says that that the Reisi, the Gedolei Hadaros. He refers to Gedolei Hadaros. It sounds in context like he's referring to the Ramban that say that they're cholek and they say Hoshavas Dayanim Levnei Noach. Appointing judges is only a mitzvah say, and they're not chayav misa for it. And the Meiri says, and according to this opinion we mentioned earlier, that he says the the killing of Shem was shalokedin. We'll see what the Ramban says in a moment, but the Miri also brings this idea that, that they're not chay, the Gedolei Hadaros say, they're not chay of Misa for failing to uphold the law, and therefore he says, the, he, as we said before, therefore he says that these Gedolei Hadaros held that the killing of Shem was, killing of Shem was Shalokadin. Maral in Gorarie also says, he says, Akasha, why, why were the people of Shem machatu? Why do they deserve to be killed? Brings the Rambam and he says, the Rambam is, uh, is, is very hard to accept, he says. How can you expect them to judge the Ben Nasi Haaretz? We, we have a democracy. We're spoiled. We understand that nobody's above the law. Even presidents and so on are, have to listen to the courts. But that's not how the world used to work. How is it reasonable to expect the, the ordinary civilians to judge the son of the Nasi Haaretz? They were scared of him. Even though, yes, they weren't in Stavu al-Adinim, it's true, whether it's the mitzvah of Dinim or a detail of mitzvah of Dinim, they're supposed to do what he says, but Onus is a patri, it's not their fault, he says. How can, they be, how can we expect them to be done? So the Maral, Maral also argues that the Rambam's shot, that they were all chayr for failing to judge, for failing to judge, uh, for failing to judge him, is not reasonable, he says. The... So the Raman himself goes on and, and, and says, after he, after he rejects the Raman's shot, he says, he says, why do you need a reason to say why, why Shechem was high of Misa? He says, Anche Shechem, weren't they Ovedev They were idolaters. They were Megale Arayo. So the, the Torah always refers to the, what the people in Canaan did as every abomination. They, they worship Ovedev all over the place. Torah tells, Torah tells us not to learn, not to act the way they acted. And uh, they did all kinds of sexual perversions, abominations. So the truth is, if you want them, if you want them to be Rishayim, he says, uh, it, 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 forget the question of whether they were Rishayim for not for judging Shem, for not judging Shem. That's that's the one great hate you can find. There's plenty of hate we can lay at their doorsteps. If you want to if you want to establish the Rishayim, I can stipulate that. The Ramban says. However. That doesn't justify the the, the Bnei Yaakov killing them. He turns around and he says, "Wasn't Yaakov's job to punish them?" That's an interesting question. If a, if a Ben Noach violates the Zion mitzvahs, who judges him? Can an ordinary civilian in a vigilante action judge him? Do you need some kind of duly established authority? Ramban just in one line, Kalachayad says, "It wasn't the job of Yaakov and his sons. It wasn't uh, within their it wasn't within their scope of authority to judge them." So again, he says, so then why do they kill them? So the, 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 the Ram's reason is, is wrong for all the reasons he gave. They were indeed Rishayim, but again, that, that wasn't the job of Yaakov and his family to punish them. So what happened here, he says? Aval Inyan Shechem, B'nai Yaakov, he says, because they were Rishayim, and they, they, they considered their lives worthless, Damam Chashulam Kemayim, they wanted to take revenge, Becherav no Kemes, and they killed the Melech and all his people because they were his servants. They didn't care about their covenant because it was uh, they, they thought that, that that what they did to pledge to, to pledge their uh, pledge themselves to Yaakov was just Lahachnif uh, Ladoneim. And uh, Yaakov said, "It's dangerous that you're in da- by doing this. You're endangering us." And he said, uh, "And he said, Apam that because uh, they did Hamas." He says. Because they had promised that they would be one people, they would be la'amechad, and, uh, and 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 they were agreeing to join Yaakov. And he says maybe they would, maybe they would have, uh, they would have been Yeshuvu Hashem. They would have done Shuva. They killed them chinam for no reason. The people of Shem weren't guilty. 
That's what Yaakov said, again, decades later, when he said, you engage in Hamas, you, you betrayed the trust, they, they, they trusted us, they, we, we made a deal with them, and you, you went back on your word, and he calls it Hamas. This is perhaps what the, what the Me'iri meant when he says that the Gedolei Hadaros say that what they did was Hamas, after rejecting the Rambam, they just say it was wrong. We mentioned earlier, Bukhar Shar says explicitly it was Shalok Adin. The Ramban is not so clear. He, he, he begins, the Rambam's reason he says is wrong, that, that they're, they're, they're not Chayim Misa for failing to judge Shem. On the other hand, they were, they were terrible Rishayim, so they were Avdev Adazara and Megali Arayo, so, so, so they were deserving of Misa. On the other hand, it wasn't Yaakov, on the third hand yet, it wasn't Yaakov and his, and his son's job to kill them, and uh, there was hope that they could do tshuva and improve, so therefore, it was, it, it, therefore, while they weren't innocent by any means, while they weren't, uh, they, they weren't tzaddikim, so they, they were high of Misa in a certain sense, but A, it wasn't Yaakov's job to kill them and his son's job to kill them, B, there was a chance they could improve. See, they hadn't actually done anything to Yaakov and his family, to, so, so they had no claim against him. So because of all this, the Ramban says that it was Hamas. It was wrong, that's why Yaakov was upset. And so, so again, the Ramban, is, the Ramban is taking a middle-of-the-road position, apparently. On the one hand, he's saying that uh, the people in Shechem were not Tzadikim, were certainly Rishayim and deserving of death. On the other hand, Yaakov's sons were nevertheless not really justified in killing them. It wasn't the right thing to do, especially after they made a bris, and that's why Yaakov was upset. The Radvaz, the Radvaz on the Rambam, he, he asks on the Rambam, he asks an important question of the Rambam. He says, similar to what the Ramban asked, he says that if Shem was, if the, if the brothers of, if the Shimon and Levi, the sons of Yaakov, were indeed justified in exterminating Shechem because of the Rambam's reason, because they were all Chayav Misa for not doing din, for not bringing, just, bringing Shechem to justice. Why was Yaakov upset? Why did Yaakov say If they were justified in killing them, many Mepharshim grapple with this question. We already saw the Ramban brought this as one of his reasons for rejecting the Rambam. So the Radvaz says something interesting. He says, Once they accepted the Brismila, they became essentially Gerim. The halach is a Ger is no longer Chayav Misa for the Averis that he did when he was a uh, non-Jew. Therefore, that was Yaakov's argument. That even, even though the Rambam is correct, they were Chayav Misa, but Yaakov said, no, but Gerish is Gerishin dummy. So I guess, Hadrukushla Dukhtes, and why did Shimon and Levi kill them? Maybe they thought the Gerish wasn't genuine, wasn't in good faith, but uh, I'll call upon him. The Radvaz says, yes, the Rambam is right in principle that, the, that they were Chayav Misa. However, once they accepted the deal offered by Bnei Yaakov, and they did Brismila, at that point they were Gerim, and therefore they were, they, were, they were no longer Chayav Misa, and that's why. They, they were no longer Chayav Misa, and that's why Yaakov was upset at Shimon and Levi for killing them. Now, both the Ramban and the Radvaz, as we've seen, they seem to understand that, that Yaakov's objection to what Shimon and Levi had done was a moral objection. He cursed them later, he meant what you did was wrong, it was morally wrong. There was hope they would do tshuva, they didn't do anything to you, it's not your job to kill them. So he was making a moral objection, because the Ramban says if, 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 if they were morally correct, why would he have criticized them? If he was just too scared, why wouldn't he have uh, supported what they did? If, if they were brave, why wouldn't he have supported them? I don't really understand the assumption behind this question. Certainly in Parshas Vayishlach, in our Parsha, Yaakov's objection to what they did was not a moral objection at all. He didn't make, any, he didn't make a moral objection to them. He said, he made a purely real politic objection. He said, He says, you've endangered us, we can't stand up to them. And what do you mean they were brave? Shimon and Levi were brave. If Yaakov felt they were, they were, they were behaving recklessly and, and, and they, they were putting the whole family in danger, he's right to criticize them. There, there is a foolhardy, fool, foolhardiness is not a virtue. If Yaakov felt what they had done was, uh, was reckless and insupportable and that, and, that, and that the family was in danger of annihilation at the hands of the Canaanim, why shouldn't he criticize them? He, even if he's not passing moral judgment on what they had done, not... It's not a matter of pikuach nefesh. It's, uh, Yaakov, Yaakov would have felt, yes, they deserve it. People of Shem deserve it. But not at the cost of putting our whole family in danger. If we're in danger of a, of a counterattack by the numerically su- vastly superior forces of Eretz Canaan, it's, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. So I don't really understand, again, why, why, why the Ramban and the Radvaz are both asking on the Rambam that the, why, would, why did Yaakov object? It's very clear why he objected. He objected because it was... Uh, it was, it, was, it, was, it was an unjustified endangerment of the lives of his whole family. Even in, even in Parashas Vayechi, where he said, Ar-Rapam Ki-Az, again, he, he, didn't, he didn't necessarily, it's perfectly, it's perfectly, it seems perfectly plausible to explain 
he didn't mean that the act was inherently immoral. He may have meant that it was you, your rage was so great that you acted without taking into account the consequences and you put us all in danger, which was not worth it. Uh, the, whatever, 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 whatever positive good there was in punishing Shem, it wasn't worth putting our whole family in danger and, and, and your temper caused you to do something which was... Uh, which was not correct uh, from the perspective of the Torah. Okay, but the, but the Ramban and the Radva seemed to feel that Yaakov was making an ethical objection, and therefore they, and they, and therefore they, they say what they say. The, there, is a, there, is another, there is another point here, another way to explain, there, there is another way to explain uh, the, the, the argument between Yaakov and Shimon and Levi, and that is along the lines of what the Ramban rejected. As we mentioned earlier, the Ramban said, the Ramban said that the, if, if Shimon and Levi were, were essentially correct, were morally correct in what they did, and Yaakov was just scared of the consequences, he says, then he says that the, he says that the, he says that the, if indeed, if, if indeed the Rambam is correct and they were, and they were all Chayat Misi, he says, Yaakov should have been first to, to exact, to, to, to impose the sentence upon them. And if Yaakov was afraid, if Yaakov was afraid, why did he get angry at his sons and punish them and, and get angry at them years later? So we already explained that, uh, I don't really understand the question, maybe he was simply, he simply meant that you're, this is reckless. It's not a question of being afraid, it's not an emotional reaction. He simply meant the danger is too high, it's not worth doing this, and Doing something without weighing the consequences is, is, is not correct. But there are Rishonim who understand exactly the Pshat the Ramban rejects. There are Rishonim who understand that the debate here between Yaakov and his sons was actually about uh, courage and cowardice and bravery and honor. It actually was about exactly these values. The, the Radak has a, has a very, very brief comment, but a very, very pregnant, very, very powerful comment on the Pasha. The Radak says... One line. We're taught that every line of a Rishon, every word of a Rishon has, uh, has, has great meaning. Here's what the Radak says. Commenting on the, on, the, on the disagreement between Yaakov and Shimon and Levi, Radak writes as follows. The Yaakov Kimen Hago. Yaakov was afraid Kimen Hago, as was his custom. Uvanov Hayu Lev. His sons were stout-hearted, were brave. Linkom Escharpasam al To avenge the, the stain on their honor, the disgrace... That had that they had been that they had been thrust that had been thrust upon them by Shechem. What does Radak mean when he says Yaakov Pachad Kimen Hago? So it's a fascinating thing. The in, 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 there's a popular idea in the in the realm of Machshava that the Mida of Yaakov is the Midas Hamas. Teaching Emes Liyakov, and we actually find Yaakov behaving in a way that's not Emes in a bunch of places. And they, they, they the various thinkers explain that they reconcile that they say that that was his Nisayon maybe whatever it is. But the truth is, what Radak is alluding to here is that if you read the Psukim, if you read Pshutosh Mikra, there is another character trait associated with Yaakov, and that is fear. Yaakov is afraid throughout Sefer Bereshis. A remarkable number of times, Yaakov is afraid. Yaakov is repeatedly afraid of things. We have in Parashas Toldos, Rivka says, go steal the brachas. Yaakov says, uh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid the Ula Yimusheni Avi, I'm afraid of getting caught by, uh, by my father. So Rivka says, don't worry, I'll, 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 I'll take care of that. I'll indemnify you. I'll when, when, when Yaakov is running to, uh, when Yaakov is running in Pasha's Vayete, when he runs to, to Haran, to, to Lavan, he's, he's concerned about what Lavan will do. He says he, he asks Hashem to help him and to be with him. Beginning of Pasha's Vayeshlach, of course, when, 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 Esav is, uh, when Esav is marching to, uh, to meet him, Yaakov Ma'od, Yaakov is uh, is quite afraid. The, we find that the we find he's afraid to send Benjamin down later. He says lest something happened to him on the way. Even in the beginning of Pashas Ve'eshev, where where, where, Yosef, where the brothers are shepherding, Yaakov is worried about them. He tells Yosef, "Go see how they're doing. Let make sure they're okay." The, what we find about Yaakov is throughout the, throughout these Pashas, he is. Yaakov is frequently afraid. And that's what that's what the Radak means. He says, Yaakov Kiminhago. Yaakov, we know by, by his disposition, his, his character was he was a fearful person. He worries about uh, the reaction of the indigenous peoples of Eretz Canaan. Yaakov always worries. So Yaakov's worry was in line with his general character, that he worried about things. His sons were were brave, his sons were bolder, he says, his sons were 
his sons were quicker to, uh, to avenge the, the disgrace uh, that, that, that Shechem had caused them. Now, the truth is, there is actually some interesting discussion as to whether Yaakov's worry was a character flaw or not. The, the Rambam, the Rambam and Shemona Prakim, the Rambam says that, that, that it was a failing, it was a character failing of Yaakov. The, the Rambam and Shemona Prakim has a, uh, a somewhat scandalous parak there where he says that Nevi'im don't have to be perfect, and to prove that they have to be great tzaddikim and great chachamim, but not absolutely perfect, as proof, he goes through a bunch of figures from Tanakh, a bunch of biblical figures, and points to what he considers were shortcomings in Midos that they had. He goes through a whole list of, uh, of all kinds of great tzaddikim and neviim, and, and points to what he considers flaws that the Torah is telling us about their character. When it comes to Yaakov, he says he was had pachad. Yeah, Yaakov, Yaakov was too scared. Yaakov was uh, ya- Yaakov was scared, and he uh, he should have been braver. The Gemara seems to say, as I recall, that Yaakov was not at fault. The, the Gemara actually learns from, the, from Yaakov's being afraid of Esav. The, the Gemara asks, what about the, the promise? Hashem has promised to Yaakov. He says, no, that it's possible that uh, there could have been chait. And the Gemara seems to learn, the Gemara seems to assume Yaakov was correct. Similarly, it says about Shmuel, that Hashem told Shmuel, go appoint Shaul to be the king. And Shmuel said, that's treason. How can I do that? If Shaul finds out, he'll kill me. Hashem says, you're right. Eglas bakar you can have a cover story. So to avoid detection, so and the Gemara seems to say this was right that their their fears were were justified that that, that was the correct way to behave. So the Mefarshim discusses whether Ram can be reconciled with the Gemara or not, but be that as it may, the Rambam does say that the that Yaakov's fear, at least in, at least in the, in the beginning of Pashat Vishlach, at least in the case of Esav, Rambam does say that that was uh, an actual character failure. It doesn't mean it was a, a horrible sin. It means that on some, that at least on some level, Yaakov was less than perfect in his. Uh, in, in, that, that he was, he was a, little too, a little bit too timid, that ya- Yaakov should have been, to be perfect, Yaakov should have been a little bit braver. And the Radak is saying something in a similar vein. The Radak is saying that this was a general character trait of Yaakov, that he was afraid, and his sons were braver. His sons were, Anshe Leif, were, were, his sons were stout-hearted men who were less concerned, less worried about their personal safety, and, more, and, and, and were interested in taking revenge. Radak doesn't exactly take sides and say who was right. He says Yaakov was, by, by, by character, by habit, was, a, uh, was fearful, and his sons were bolder. He doesn't actually say who was right. As I pointed out earlier, in this week's parasha, the Torah gives Shimon and Levi the last word. Yaakov says, Shimon and Levi say, and they, they get the last word. Later, decades later, Yaakov hasn't given in, apparently. Yaakov says, and so on. The Barbanel has uh, truly remarkable comments on, 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 the, on the debate between Shimon and Levi. He very clearly sides with Shimon and Levi. Now, Barbanel says, uh, says, something, uh, says something truly remarkable. The Barbanel says that the point of Shimon and Levi, the, the point they were making, their, their attitude was that, um, they, that this disgrace, the disgrace of having someone kidnap and rape their sister, he says, they were mechuyavim. They believed themselves honor-bound. They, they believed themselves obligated to be moser atzom b'sakana, lehi moser atzom b'sakana, to moser nefesh, to wipe away the stain on their honor. And the Barbanel says, ki hamaves b'chavod tova mechai hacherpa v'habos. Death with honor is better than life with disgrace and ignominy. We, we, we hear about such cultures in, in Japan with, uh, with Harikiri, Seppuku. We hear, like the colonists or uh, Patrick Henry. You know, right, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> you know, Alexander Hamilton fought right. a duel over honor. The, you read uh, Alexander Dumas. You, you, read, you read the French writers about people. Uh, they said something you know, in the Old West. You know, the, the people said things to each other. Today, in the hood, in, the, in, 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 in inner city culture, they have beefs. They have people shoot each other because they, they, they disrespect, they dissed each other, they disrespected each other. So we don't typically think this is a Torah attitude, but a, and a Barbanel, I always argue that, 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 that anyone who denies that, the, if, if, anyone who denies that, that Jewish thought is sometimes influenced by general culture, this of Barbanel, I always say, is exhibit A. He, was, he, he moved in the circles, uh, the aristocratic circles in, in, in medieval Spain, where these attitudes certainly Spain is kind of the, the quintessential culture of honor and of uh, the Spanish grandees are famous for their honor. Rav Aaron Lopiansky, the Roshiva, he wrote an essay, I think some decades ago, 
I'm not sure how long ago this was, but there, there was a period of Masada fever in the U.S. Everyone was all inspired and... Uh, what well, uh, Masada, the Masada in Eretz Israel. Uh, everyone was all inspired by the heroic defenders of Masada who fought to the death and even killed themselves rather than be captured by the Romans. So the Rashiva was not happy with this uncritical admiration of the of the of the whole story. Again, is is not documented. It's apparently Josephus' story. It's not, it's not entirely uh, known to be true. But the the alleged heroic suicidal defenders of Masada, Rav Aaron declared that honor is a foreign word to the Jew. He says we're not going to judge. It's not our place. It's not necessary for us to judge people of Masada. They, they they may have been scared of being tortured, like the Rishonim say, that to avoid torture. We're not going to judge them. He says, but we're not going to judge what actually happened. That's Hashem's business. We are going to judge. He says, well, we are going to pass judgment on the story, the, the story that people hold them up as as an ideal of honor and of uh, honorable behavior. He says that he says is wrong. Halacha and Ashkafa clearly say that honor is a foreign word to the Jew. We must do what is right, not what seems honorable. We surrender to save lives, save Klal Yisrael. We commit suicide for Kiddush Hashem for no other reason. We do not have the arrogance to assume that we control the world by our actions. But uh, so the Rashiva was said that honor is a foreign word to the Jew. Rabbi, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, used to talk a lot about uh, guilt cultures and shame cultures. He said, he said, ancient Greece, maybe Japan, they had shame cultures where the ultimate bad was to be shamed, was to was to have cherpa and kolon. Judaism is about inwardly, about guilt cultures, he says. In shame cultures, what matters is what other people think of you, the embarrassment, the ignominy, the loss of face. In guilt cultures, it's what the inner voice of conscience tells you, similar to what the Rashiva was saying also, that the, in Judaism, we don't do things because we lose face, because we're embarrassed. We do things because what's right and wrong, when our conscience tells us, what the Torah tells us is right and wrong. In shame cultures, the Rishak says, we're actors playing our part on the public stage, in guilt cultures, we're engaged in inner conversation with the better angels of our nature. But while the Rashiva and Rabbi Sachs are undoubtedly correct that this is the overwhelming uh, trend, the mainstream trend of Jewish thought, every rule has exceptions. Judaism is a, is a broad religion, and you can always find support for pretty much any idea. And this Abar Bernal is exhibit A for the, for the idea that honor is a matter of life and death, uh, that this is not a moral issue per se, the way he explains it. It was a matter of honor. He says, and that's Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi said that the, our honor has been impugned. The only way we can save face is by, is by slaughtering those who, who insulted us. And even if it puts our own life at risk, he says, it was, it's worth it because an honorable death is preferable to a, to a, to a life with ignominy. And then the Rabbi Bernal says, and who was right? So we mentioned the Radak already seems sympathetic to Shimon and Levi. The, the, the Rabbi Bernal says this explicitly. He says, who was right? Baruchu agreed with what they did. The pasuk goes on to they get the last word, and the pasuk goes on to say that Hashem, Hashem brought things about that there was a terror of Hashem and all, all the surrounding cities. They did not pursue Yaakov, he says, and, and they were, Hashem agreed with them. Hashem, Hashem endorsed what they did to uphold their honor, and he they got the best of both worlds. They defended their honor and they survived. The Barbanel goes on, and he has a uh, rather amusing, um, uh, rather amusing, somewhat uh, misogynistic statement. You can probably find similar things in Madrashim, but the Barbanel says a lesson we learn from the story is how how much trouble girls are. He says Yaakov had twelve sons, and he did not suffer the cherpa and the kolon and the danger. He didn't suffer the disgrace and ignominy and danger from his one daughter that he had for twelve of his sons. He says. So, I mean, he certainly suffered plenty from Yosef and from, from other things the sons had done, but Barbanel says more trouble from one girl than 12 sons, so keep that in mind. Then he says, um, and furthermore, the lesson is, uh, the previous lesson to no, teach you... Whether she did something wrong also. Right, so the say that she was some, she, was, she was actually at fault, she went uh, okay. gallivanting around, she was the Yatsanis, right, but either way, the trouble that they caused, whether it's their fault or not, is, uh, is, is more than 12 sons combined. Furthermore, he says, the lessons to teach you, Shimon and Levi are correct, he says. The, the, the Torah is teaching us that men of Mila, men of no, noble people, men of superior, uh, superior character, he says, how much they suffer from cherpa and kolon, that they would risk their lives, he says, risk their lives and their families' lives, their wives and children, risk the lives of their whole family, he says, just to just avenge themselves on their enemies. It doesn't sound all that Jewish, but this is what the Abarbanel says. Abarbanel Rabbi Lal repeats this idea of honor in a number of other places, that he says that the, 
in, the, in when, when the Kohen, when, when, when the Kohen and the Shoter, before the war, he, he would make announcements, anyone who's afraid should go home, should go home. So Chazal say, I believe, that this announcement was made together with announcements of anyone who might have Averis, so that nobody should know why people were going home, Averis or not. Avarmanel turns the argument on its head. He says that when the Kohen said, when, when, when they announced anyone who's afraid should go home, they did not make that announcement discreetly. They made that announcement in public. So anyone who was afraid would have to walk out with the eyes of the, all, his, all his military comrades watching him walk out. And people who were thinking of leaving should say that they should say, they should realize how embarrassed they're going to be. And they should say, better that I risk my life and die honorably with, uh, with a good opinion of my, of my brethren in arms than that I should leave and go home and be safe and have everyone uh, and live my life out as a coward, as a... Uh, the purpose was to, to He says, yeah, that, well, I guess they also, they also wanted people to actually leave right, if they were going right. to have bad morale, but the, it was right. deliberately done in public, so that would uh, shame people into uh, bucking up and staying and being brave about it. The, I, I published a few years ago a, a whole paper on the Barbanel's attitude toward honor, one of the other examples, uh, a rather startling example of the Barbanel's uh, belief that honor is such a paramount value, there's a story in the very, the very beginning of Shoftim. The Jews were still waging military campaigns against the, 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 the indigenous people of Canaan. So it says that they won a war against a king called Adoni Bezek. And it says that they, he was defeated in battle. He fled from the battlefield. They caught him and they cut off his fingers and toes and he died. Basically, they tortured him to death. It's not clear if he died immediately or if he died later from this, but basically they caught him and they mutilated him and they tortured him. So the Mepharshim asked, why do they do that? Since when do we torture captured, captured enemy soldiers? Do you want to kill them? Maybe, but why are we torturing him? Where did that come from? Barbara says, you know, they, you know why they did that? You know why they tortured him? It's true, they didn't normally torture prisoners. You know why they tortured him, he says? Because he was the king. He should not have fled. He should have died bravely with a sword in his hand on the battlefield. He fled. He was a coward, he says. He says the, he, they, they had nothing but contempt for him, he says. It was, uh, he says, he says, it wasn't, he says, since, since he fled and didn't fight, they, they, they cut off his fingers to say, these are, these are the hands you didn't fight with, and uh, these are the feet that you ran away with, this is what we think of you. They cut off his fingers and, and, and toes to show their, their contempt for, for what he had done. Furthermore, he says, it was, it was also uh, it was payback. He himself said, this is, I deserve this, I do this to other kings that I vanquished. Not like he didn't deserve it, but the point was, Abarmanel says again, honor is, uh, honor is such, a, such a great thing, and, and he, he was a man without honor, so they, they mutilated and tortured him to be, because of what they thought, uh, be, because of what he had done. A couple of other perspectives on, on what Shimon and Levi did and, and their argument with Yaakov. Archaim HaKadosh. The Archaim HaKadosh says... They answered Yaakov, As we explained previously, putting aside the Ramban and the Radvaz, Yaakov's argument was not a moral argument. Yaakov's argument was, he didn't say they don't deserve it. Yaakov knew they deserved it. Yaakov's argument was, it's too risky. We, 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 it's not, it's, it, our position is not defensible. What you did is not supportable. So what was the answer? The answer was, well, they treated her like a zona. And therefore, we're about to get massacred. You know, so why, why, how does that, how is that explained? We saw that Arbanel's approach, they were saying it's worth it if we get killed, it's, uh, we'll, we'll go down, we'll die with honor. Or Chaim asked this question also, what was the answer? If Yaakov's answer was it was too dangerous, what was their answer? Uh, what was their answer? So he says, maybe their answer was, he says, that he has two shots, both very interesting. Both have perhaps lessons for how we should behave in general. His first answer is, he says, they were saying, no, no, there are not going to be consequences here. They're not going to counterattack, he says, because fair is fair. Even people in Canaan understand that Shem got what was coming to them. They, they, they deserved it. And even, the, even the, the Goyim in Canaan understand this, he says. So they might not be our friends, but they understood that we were provoked. They understood that, that Shem got what was coming to them, he says, that the... They, that, that, that they, they didn't mean that, that it was a question of, of Chiyuv or of, that were high of Alpidin, like we said before. They meant that no one's, no one's going to be angry at us because we, we were provoked, that they treated our sister like a zona. So they're going to say, all right, they, they, they killed Shem. He, he deserved it. He brought it on himself. We don't feel the need to counterattack Bnei Yaakov. All right. 
this is the importance of Hasbarav, explaining to people, even if we think they're not our friends or they're not sympathetic to us, they understand the difference between killing innocent people and between killing people who deserve it. It's our job to explain and to make it clear. But he, he thinks it was self-evident in this case, but if it's not self-evident, the point is, even, even people who are not so friendly to us are capable of understanding that when we're provoked, we're going to... We, we have the right to fight back, and therefore, that was his first explanation of Shimon Levi's argument. His second explanation is fascinating as well. His second explanation is, he says, Shimon and Levi were saying, they were making a very, very cold-blooded argument. They were saying that the, what we are doing, Shimon and Levi said, is we are preserving the balance of terror. The ultimate thing that keeps us safe, they said, is deterrence. If our enemies know that they start up with us, they're going to face bloody retaliation, he says, the next, the next person who thinks of starting up with us is going to think twice about it. They're going to say, look what happened to the last people. They, 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 they face bloody annihilation. So what we're doing is keeping us safe. By, by showing our enemies that there's a price for Jewish blood, or Jewish uh, rape, or whatever it was in this case, that's what will keep us safe. Turning the other cheek and doing nothing and just uh, absorbing attacks, that's not going to keep us safe. That's going to that's, that's cause them to do more, he says. They're not going to stop until they see that there's a price to it. So Shimon and Levi were, were making, the, were making the, the kind of the Kahanist point almost that we have to show that there is a, a price to be paid for attacking Jews, and that's how, that's how we'll stay safe. This, this point actually is made by a number of post I mean, I said Kahanist, obviously, what he was actually advocating, I'm not so familiar with his thought, I'm not coming to, to, to engage in that debate, but the... But the... But the, but, but the basic point, this basic point that, the, that, that we have to take revenge on our enemies in order to preserve deterrence is actually endorsed by the Postkin. There, there are a number of the Gedolia Postkin have made this point, beginning with the Tzemach Tzedek of Nicholsburg 400 years ago. Tzemach Tzedek was asked about a case where a certain non-Jew had murdered a Jew. And they knew who it was, and they, they were able to bring him to justice. It was going to cost money. Today we would say it costs you know, pay for legal bills or private investigators. Back then it was going to cost you know, bribes or whatever it was. The wheels of justice had to be greased by some cash. It was going to cost us a substantial sum of money to bring the person to justice. So they asked their advice, do we have to do it? Can we just you know, let the matter go? Do, do we have al Do we have to... Again, they, they, the Jews didn't have sovereignty. There was a non-Jewish government, but by spending money they, they could cause the criminal to be punished, probably executed for his, for his murder. They asked the Radvaz, what's the Torah's position? Should we let this, do we, can we let this go, or do we have to pursue this? Radvaz says, absolutely, you have to pursue it, he says. First of all, it's a question of the formal obligation of Goel Hadam, the mitzvah to avenge murder. We typically think of Goel Hadam as directly avenging the murder, the, the Tamak Tzedek says. It's not just that. If, if you can't do it directly, if you can do it through the court system, that's part of Goel Hadam as well. So the relatives have to bring him to justice as a matter of Goel Hadam. But furthermore, he says, the whole community has to bring him to justice, he says. Because if, if people get away with murder, literally, he says, there'll be more murder, he says. The, the only way to stop murder, the, the only way to deter murder, is by making sure there's a price to be paid, he says. So it's for the security of the entire Jewish community, he says, that we punish, that we bring to justice those who attack us, he says. It's a, and and that's, a, that, that, that's a Torah obligation, he says. It's a, it's a Torah obligation of self-preservation. Is to is to punish and to and to bring to justice people who commit crimes, because that's the only way we'll stay safe. And other posts can say this as well that, that it's an important, it's an important. They discuss things like um, allowing or facilitating an autopsy, in order to uh, for forensic criminal purposes, in order to enable a murderer to be tried and convicted. And some posts can allow it on this grounds as well. They, they, many posts will allow it, some on this grounds, uh, on, on these grounds, on the grounds that it's an important need for the Jewish community for Jewish security. To, to, to bring murderers to justice, and even Nivel Ames you know, can, be, can be justified in order to do that because this is an important value. This is not just about, about a base desire for revenge. This is about deterrence and security. And that's what the, that's what the Archaim is telling us. That's what the Archaim is telling us, that that was the second, his second explanation of what Shimon and Levy were saying. They were saying that, yes, there is some risk, perhaps some risk associated with doing this. There's also risk in not doing this. And they felt that they were saying the danger of not doing anything is, uh, is a more urgent danger. The not doing anything is also not safe. Not doing anything signals that it's open season upon Jews, upon the family of Yaakov, and we have to take revenge in order to ensure that the, the balance of terror is maintained.
One, one final, very, very provocative and very important uh, perspective on the argument between Shimon and Levi and Yaakov is by the Maral in his Gurariya. So we mentioned earlier the, the Gurariya brings the question everyone asks, why, what, what was the justification for massacring, for annihilating the, the civilians of Shechem? Brings the Rambam that because they failed in their obligation to hold Shechem accountable, to, to bring him to justice. As we mentioned earlier, he says, Divrei Temahem, he says, how, how is that their fault, he says, they were afraid of him, they're his subject, you can't really hold them morally accountable for failing to, again, as I said, we're spoiled, we used to think, we're, in, in modern democracy, we, we understand that even the, the heads of state are not above the law. But the, back then, is it really, can you really expect the, the subjects of, a, of, of an autocrat to bring him to justice? So the morale says, a very, very powerful, a unique approach to the provocative approach to the story of Shechem. Lo kashamidi, he says. There's really no question at all. There's really no need to justify what Shimon and Levi did. He says there's a difference between war, between sovereign nations and civilians' relationships with each other. He says two nations, like B'nai Israel and Canaanim, even back then, were considered two separate nations. But he said, the, the people in Shechem said if, if, that we, we, we do this deal, we'll be one nation. They, they themselves considered themselves as a separate nation from Bnei Yaakov. Originally, they were not Amechad. Therefore, he says, when you're dealing in war, he says, there's no such thing as civilian casualties. He says, even though the Torah says when you wage war, you have to offer them peace, he says, and meaning you have to let the innocent people go, that's only when it's a war where the enemy has not... Has not uh, has not done something which legitimized which, which which they deserve to be waged war against. When they did when when they provoked the Israel, when they did something uh, Cassus belly against Klal Yisrael, like this case of Navala, even though it was only one of them, but if the war against them was uh, was if the war against them is in response to an outrage to a provocation, he says. Everyone in that nation is fair game. There's no such thing, no difference between civilians and military. Again, as long as they did something to start this, they were pirates, they did some avla to that start of the war. You're allowed to take revenge, you're allowed to wage war against them. And like the war against Midian, they didn't only kill the people who were guilty, they killed Midian in general because once some members of a nation commit an act of war against you, you wage war against them. It is not necessary to distinguish between civilians and Military, he says, even though, again, Midian also, there were many who weren't guilty, he says, doesn't matter. Since that nation is guilty of a crime against you, of an outrage against you, you're allowed to wage war, and that's how all wars work. The morale, basically, in, in this very brief passage, he, he, he basically rejects the whole idea that we take as fundamental in the modern law of war between civilians and between combatants. Morale essentially tosses it all out the window, and says that there's no such thing. It's true, when you're dealing with an outside of context of war, when you're not dealing with a, with a conflict between sovereign powers, you have to sort out the innocent and the guilty, and you can only kill someone if he's either guilty or if he's uh, a road day for other, other, exception, other reasons to kill somebody. But in the context of war, it doesn't work like that. War is between nations, not between individuals. It's, uh, it's a category error to start judging the guilt or innocence of individuals, and therefore, and therefore you can wage war without worrying about who, uh, who you kill. Some con- this morale was never really paid much attention to over the years. I mean, it was, maybe people studied it, but it, was, it wasn't really brought l'halacha. In the 20th century, the late 20th century, when various chachamim in Eretz Yisrael and the U.S. tried to, you know, the, part of the Zionist project, tried to construct rules by which a state should be governed al Israeli rules that should govern Israel fighting against its enemies, against terrorists, against Arabs, there, there, were some, there were some thinkers who tried to bring it, who tried to invoke this morale as an argument that we don't really need to care so much about civilian casualties. Nobody was really arguing we should just go around executing uh, random Arabs, but they were arguing that we don't have to be so concerned every time we launch an attack. Maybe there are civilians, maybe this, maybe that. Morale says it's war. It's war. You don't have to judge the innocence and guilt of every... Rafael Shechter has said this, that, 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 that if, if because the Arabs... He was talking about a case where the Arabs are... The terrorists are blending into the civilians deliberately. We can't sort out who's who, he says. Rav Shechter says, not such a problem, he says. Like this morale says, when, you, when you're engaged in a war, you don't have to worry. You don't have to sit in judgment with the Sanhedrin on each person. Is he innocent or guilty? Is he directly a combatant or not? He's the enemy. The enemy is allowed. He's part of the enemy nation. The enemy nation has committed uh, outrages against us. 
and, and, and therefore some, some thinkers, Professor Neria Gutel has written uh, some very interesting and thoughtful analysis of this whole discussion. Do we accept this morale? Is this really uh, normative Torah thought that when you're fighting a war, you don't need to concern yourself with, uh, with the innocence or guilt of, of, of individual members of the enemy? No difference in civilians and combatants. Again, a very provocative idea. Hasn't really gone through the Masu Matan Shal Halacha. But this is the morale, one of the Gedolei Poskim and one of the great Jewish thinkers of his time, of all time, who said that, the, that, 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 that we don't have to worry so much about whether an individual member of the enemy is actually innocent or guilty. Now again, the morale, we should point out that the morale says, Einzu Kushia, morale is going against many we showed him. Many we showed him did think this was a question, the Rambam and the Ramban and, the, and many others, and Bechar Shar and Meiri, and we'll, a few more we'll quote in a moment, did not, did not apparently think what the morale said. They, they, did not, they thought that the people, we have to find a reason why they, could kill, uh, why they could kill the people of Shem. Perhaps they thought it wasn't really a sovereign conflict. Perhaps they thought Yaakov wasn't really enough of an independent nation. But anyway, there is this morale. It's, it's very, very unclear if this, is, if this is normative Jewish thought or not. But this is one, one further approach to the, to the conflict between, Yaakov, between uh, Shem and Bnei Yaakov. I, I, I thought this would be the last thing, but just one final point I should have mentioned. There are a number of Rishonim who understand that, the, that Shimon and Levi's murder, killing of the people in Shem, was actually did fit into the normal halachic rules of Rodif, of self-defense. The, some say that, the, the, the Ralbag says, for example, that the, they couldn't have killed Shem without this because his people... He says that, first of all, they were guilty, he says, like the Rambam, because they should have objected. Uh, he, he says either they should have objected to what Shem did in the first place, they should have protested, or they should have run to justice. Or he says they simply couldn't have killed him without, uh, without fighting, the, they couldn't have gotten away with killing him without killing people in Shem as well. Different Rishonim expressed that in different ways. He says that some say that the Moshe of Zikanim, collection of the, of the Pshatim of Tosis, Moshe of Zikanim says that they actually first killed Hamar, and then the people actually tried to help Hamar. At that point, the, the people in Shem were attacking them. They actually killed in, in, in literal self-defense. The Ralbag goes even further and says that the, it was preemptive self-defense. The Ralbag says that they knew that after they killed Shechem, there was, there was no inevitable what was going to come next. The people, they knew that, the, that his, his followers, his supporters, were going to come and counterattack. So the Ralbag says that they, they anticipated, a, 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 they, they were simply, at Shimon and Levi were anticipating a retaliatory attack from the people in Shem, and they struck first and killed them. That's actually a very provocative idea as well. Basically, preemptive self-defense. In the last 20 years, this was a big deal with the Iraq War and the other... You know, today, today, it used to be war was considered, you can just declare war, you don't have to have a reason. You can declare war, like the Rambam says, just to expand your territory and to expand your, your reputation. Today, in the modern world, believes that the war is only justified in self-defense. Officially, that's what we believe. That's what the UN, uh, the UN Charter says. It's only war, military, military force, even by a sovereign power, is only justified in self-defense. Now, various thinkers, various governments have said self-defense includes preemptive self-defense. If we think they're going to strike first, like the Israelis knew the Arabs were going to strike in '67, uh, I think, and we struck Iraq because we believe that they, were, they, had, they had weapons of mass destruction and so on, so Bush-era thinkers argued for the notion of preemptive self-defense that even if they're not actually attacking us right now, if we think they will, that's grounds for self-defense. So the Ralbag is suggesting something similar, that they, they knew that once they had killed Shem, there was preemptive self-defense. They knew that they would eventually, imminently, uh, doesn't say exactly when, but they knew they would take Nakama, so they struck them first. But, uh, but either way, that, that's a basic idea of self-defense. That, that's another approach to the... Again, why Yaakov was upset, not clear then, but the, but the, this was self, again, Yaakov was upset, they could have left everyone alone, and then they wouldn't have had any problems, but morally speaking, it was justified by self-defense, justified as, justified as, as self-defense, that the, that the, that it was, it was a, it was a, it was a form of, it was a form of self-defense, and, and, and that's why it was, uh, that's why it was. Um, th- that's why it was. Uh, it was morally justified. I'll close. This is actually the last thing. I'll, I'll close with one, one, one very uh, ent- entertaining comment of the Kliyakar. The, the, this is. I'm not sure if this is if this is funny or sad or both at the same time. But the the, the Kliyakar says that again, speaking to why Shimon and Levi felt 
secure what they did. Yaakov said, this is very dangerous. Shimon Levi didn't think so, he says. He says, they they, 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 they fell upon the city secure. So, Kipshuto secure means because they were all incapacitated by the Mila. Right, which I was just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the, that, that one Nakuda in the Ralbag, how, how could he sort of said they were fighting back? They were all injured from the. I, I guess he means if they just killed Shem and then walked away, then, then a few days later, they, 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 okay. I, he, he doesn't say when, he doesn't explain, but I guess it could be later, he means. So, Kliyakar says something again, very funny or very sad at the same time. He says, Betach. Betach Kipshuto means they were, they were secure right now, they were secure that nobody would stop them. But the, he says, why, he says they were secure from future retaliation. Why were they so secure? He says they were, they were, they were sure, they were confident that the Canaanite and the Prezi would not take Nakama for the, for the murders of Shem. Why? Because they would say, oh, they're Jewish. They converted to, they had Brismilas. They converted to Jews. They're Jews. We don't care about them anymore. They're not ours anymore. So we can let, let, let them murder them. So as soon as they become a Jew, then they're no longer, we're no longer interested in them. And that's why they didn't think that anybody would bother. Nobody cares about Jews. No, 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 or nobody cares. Certainly, they used to be our brethren, our, our, our Canaanite brethren. Now they're Jews. So, uh, so not interested anymore.